We uh, <clears throat> started putting the headset up here because people were saying, when we see you put it on out there, we think we're done. So we're going to leave it up here. You won't know when I'm going to share. Um, I want to give you the opportunity to eavesdrop into a conversation that I had with the Lord Monday morning at about 3 o'clock. Uh, the last few weeks, my mind has been like a whirling dervish. If you don't know what that is, you can look it up. It, just running, racing. And so it seems that, I mean, the very first thing in the morning is the most lucid and clear my mind is. I mean, right off the bat. And it seemed like the Lord has taken an opportunity to just speak some things, share some things during that time, because I'm not distracted with all the other things. <clears throat> so I, I woke up Monday morning with this phrase resonating in my heart. I mean, it was literally one morning I woke up, and all I could hear was the song, You're Worthy of It All. And it just stuck with me all day. And so I woke up this particular morning, and all I could hear was that Christ may come to have first place in everything. And he just reminded me that all day long, that Christ may come to have first place in everything. Now, it, obviously it's going to take me a little longer to share this, but all this took place in like a 10-minute period. And I know you wish I could keep it to 10 minutes, but... <clears throat> and as I heard that phrase, I remembered that there were two passages in Scripture that referenced that, that Christ may come to have first place in everything. Uh, I want to read those to you this morning. One of them was in Ephesians, of course. <clears throat> Chapter 1, verse... Um, two, he makes his introduction and he says, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed you, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Just as he chose us, he picked us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. He wasn't selfish with it. He poured it out on us. He lavished it on us 
in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his kind intention, which he proposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times. So these verses, he says, God did all these things for us, and he did all these things to us. And you can take any one of those, and there's just a wealth of insight into those. But to what end? Why did he do all those things? Why did he bless us with every spiritual blessing? Why did he choose us? Why did he redeem us? Why did he do all of that? The next part of verse chapter of verse 10 says, that is the summing up of all things in Christ. He did every bit of that to us, and he did every bit of that for us. And when he talks about to view it, view to an administration, that word there is oikonos, which is household. This is his household, and he's setting his household. The purpose of his household is that he will sum up all things in Christ. And then Colossians chapter 1. He says, beginning in verse 13, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He he explains to us that Jesus came to the visible to reveal to us the majesty of the invisible. He didn't leave us to just what we could see and taste and touch and feel. He came and revealed this awesome glory to us in the person of Christ. And he did all of these things, again, for us and to us. And then the question again, to what end? What's what's he going to accomplish in all this? What's his purpose in all this? Well, he tells us in verse 18, so that he himself will come to have First place in everything. That's the heart of it all. That he will sum up all things in Christ, and in doing that, Christ comes to have first place in everything. Now, bear in mind, I'm interacting with what I believe to be the Father just talking to me, and I look at that and I think, man, To see that happen to the world as a whole is a daunting task. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Everywhere, everything, not only on the earth, visible, 
But in the heavens, all of the principalities, all of the rulers of darkness, everything, everywhere will come to the place that they acknowledge Jesus as first and confess him as Lord. What a daunting task. And then I was reminded of a story. Now, a lady asked me one time after I got through sharing, she said, was all that true or were you just preaching? Like there's a distinction between the truth and what you preach. So I don't know if this story was true or not. I don't know if it was a parable. I don't know if it was an illustration, but it makes a great point, okay? So you take it for what it's worth. The story goes something like this. There was a man who had a young boy and his five, six years old, and and every time he would come home from work, he wanted his dad to play with him. Play with me. Do this. Let's do that. Let's go back pitch. Let's do that. And he just bugged him incessantly about that. Well, the dad was a pretty heavy worker, and he got home in the afternoon. He was just spent. And so finally he said, okay, son, listen, Saturday I'm off, and we'll get together, and we'll do something then. So, man, the kid was looking forward to it. Well, the dad got up that morning, and he remembered that college football game was on, the big one, the championship. And, man, he'd been wanting to see that. So he goes in, he sits down on his couch, he flips on the TV, getting ready for the game. Here comes his son. Daddy, you said we're going to play today. We're going to get to do some stuff together. We want to play. And, and, and the guy was just beating himself up. And finally he said, he looked on the coffee table, and there was a, a Time magazine. And that Time magazine had a picture of the world on the front of it, a detailed picture of the world. And he said, hmm, okay. So he tore that page out, and he went into the dining room, and he tore it up into puzzle pieces. And he said his son, now, when you put this back together, we'll play together. And, of course, just that little bit of attention, the kid was excited. So the, the dad thought, well, that'll give me, you know, a good hour. He goes back in, he sits on the couch, flips on the TV. About 10 minutes later, the little boy comes in. He's got it all taped together. He said, whoa, how, did somebody help you with that? No, I did that on my own. How did you do that? And he said, the little kid said, well, if you turn it over, on the back side, there was a picture of a man. And when I put the man together, the world fell into place. He didn't know what the world looked like, but he knew what a man looked like. And in that picture, he's saying, yes, I'm going to set the world in order. But right now, I want to set you in order. I'm going to be, Christ will be first in everything that you see but I want Christ first in you right now. He's not only referencing the whole world at large, but he's referencing me personally. Now, you ever, how about God? God ever say something to him? He said, yeah, but how about? 
Well, I do. I mean, yeah, but how about this? Yeah, I know you. Yeah, but how, how about this, guys? It's almost like a negotiation. You know, if I can just get God to see my perspective that, I, he, that he's missed, obviously, because he would never have told me to do that if he knew about my how about. And so, honestly, I, I begin to how about God. And God didn't elaborate a whole lot. He just reminded me of a verse. Okay? And so in each one of these, as I how about it, God, he didn't feel the need to explain himself. He didn't even really answer my how about. He just reminded me of a verse that I knew about. So that's what this is about here. I said, well, Lord, how about my thoughts? Can I, can I just think what I want to think? Can I believe what I want to believe? You know, I mean, I, I, just, I just, I've got this active mind and, and no argument. He just quoted Isaiah 58, 55, verse 8. And he said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. How do you argue with that? And then he said it, oh, by the way, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we're destroying speculations, imaginations, arguments. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. Can I have my own thoughts? Sure. That word captive there, the root of it means one, it's the picture of a war or a battle taking place and, of course, you have the spoils of the battle. You have the, the, the treasures that are there. But more importantly that, you have the people. You capture the people. And the picture is they were captured by spear point. They held a spear on them, and that captured them. That's the word here. We capture our thoughts at spear point. He goes on another part of it. It says, to lead away captive or to bring under control. How about my own thoughts? Yours aren't mine. We take every thought captive under the obedience of Christ. I said, well, how about my emotions? How I feel? He reminded me of Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And then in Ephesians 5.18, he says, Do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation. Now, that's the New American Standard uses that word dissipation. I wonder about their choice of vocabulary sometime. So I, I check that out. And the most literal part of that is, for this is dissipation, basically is saying, because this will ruin your life. Don't be drunk with wine, because this will ruin your life. 
but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we know we've talked about this before. The picture there really doesn't have a whole lot to do with wine. It has to do with control. Don't be controlled by wine. Being controlled by wine will ruin your life. But be controlled by the Holy Spirit. I I hear a popular phrase is, don't tell me how to feel. I, I would never try to tell you how to feel. But I will tell you that, that to be controlled by our emotions will destroy our life. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Be led by the Holy Spirit. He's not saying don't drink wine. He's saying don't be controlled by anything but the Spirit. So as you can see, this is becoming a losing argument or a question. Well, what about my opinions? I've got some opinions. He didn't even hesitate on this. He said, you're right. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Even in laughter, the heart may be in pain, and the end of joy may be grief. Proverbs 14, 12, and 13. And then he reminded me of Proverbs 16, 2 and 3. All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight. Has anyone ever intentionally held a wrong opinion? Said, I know it's wrong, but I like it. All of us think how we see things is right. I'm not stupid. I wouldn't have an opinion that was wrong. Then he says in verse Proverbs 19, 21, many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. What he was communicating to me, it's about subjecting my plans and opinions to him that Christ may come to have first place in everything. But I wasn't through. What about my mind? I got a good mind. I can think a lot of things. I have a lot of reasoning. I have a lot of conclusions, dreams, visions of what to happen. He brought me to Colossians 3. Verses 1 through 3. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keeping, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ with God. And then the one we all know, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And he wasn't through yet. Remember Romans 8, 6 through 8? For the mind set on the flesh, the mind set on personal interests, is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. And that right there, tell, when, those, when that works out in my life, that tells me where my mind is. It tells me where my mind has been. If the results of what I've been reasoning in is life and peace, 
I'm thinking on the things of the Father. But when my life expresses death, it tells me no matter how right I think I've been, I'm missing the heart of what God has for me. But the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh, well, I have my own thoughts about this, and God, you'll just have to deal with it. That's not what he said. The mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, not neutral. You know, Vernell brought up this issue of man and woman, and and now that's the big thing is, you know, who's what and what's what. And I heard a guy say this week, they asked the guy about it, and he said every single bit of it is a challenge to God's authority because since the beginning of time, God set man and woman. And any time we step outside of that, we've just missed the heart of God and missed what he's saying and what he's doing. It's about subjecting my mind to Christ. Focus on him having first place, even in my opinion. Yeah, but you see, God, I'm an American. I have rights. You ever hear that? I'm an American. What about my rights? Here he was. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who although existed in the form of God, one translation, who had the right to be God, existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being found in the likeness of man. Jesus had the right to remain God. God did not send him out of force Jesus willingly obeyed to set aside all of his rights, all of those privileges, and took upon himself the form of a bondservant. Not to think about himself, but to think of what the Father wanted and what the Father was trying to accomplish. Well, that's good, God, but sometimes I get mad. What about my anger? It didn't blink. This you know. And see, that's the thing about all this. I knew all this stuff. He's not telling me anything new. He's just reminding me of what I already know. And in James 1, 19 and 20, he just qualifies that and says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Now, this was on a Monday morning, and a Monday morning, I guess, is just one of those things. Because the Monday morning before, the week before, I have a little friend. Uh, he's been in and out of prison two or three times. I, I'm, I, I think he has a GED. I'm not sure he even has a high school education. I have a picture of me standing next to him. He's about this tall, and he looks just like Charles Manson. I mean, he is the strangest little dude, but he loves the Lord. And he, he is a, a turbo engineer mechanic making six figures a year with men working under him. He's barely got a high school education. And his, his, he feels like his ministry is every, actually every day, he sends out 
a verse or uh, something he read in his daily devotional to over a hundred people. And I mean, he's consistent. Well, the Monday before he sent me this, 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24. I have the right to do anything. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything. But not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. He said, sure, you can, you can hold on to that. You can believe that. You can embrace that. That's your choice. But God has something higher. Now, here's the thing. It's great news when we see that he's going to sum up all things, visible and invisible, in heaven and earth. It's thrilling to see that he's going to sum up all things. But there's another when he wants to sum up all things in me. It's good to know that, man, he's going to make Christ first. It becomes more personal when he wants to make Christ have first place in me. Sometimes our desire, and, and, and we should look for Christ's coming. John mentioned that the other day. We should look for Christ to come any moment, any second, and be thrilled that he's coming. But let's don't let his coming be a exemption from what he wants to do now in me. Let's don't let that exempt me of my responsibility now. He wants, yes, he's going to make Christ first in the universe, in the world, in everything. But you know what? Right now he wants to do it in me. He wants Christ to have first place in me. That's what he's about. And if any part of me in looking to him coming is, <laughs> they're going to get it now. Boy, he's going to fix all these people. He's going to straighten them out. He's going to correct all. If there's any part of me that finds glee in that, I do not have the heart of the love of the Father. I just don't. See, we play a part in his coming. I want to read a verse to you. Revelation, many times I've read scripture. I went back today or this week to see what I hadn't seen before in Revelation. And in Revelations, I can't read my own writing here. I think that's 18. Revelations 19, verses 7 and 8. He says this. Let us rejoice. He's giving, he's giving us the process here of what's happening as Christ reaches the apex of his coming back. And it's a progression of what happens. And he's saying, let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Awesome. And the next part. And his bride has made herself ready. 
You mean I, I play a part in that? Oh, it gets better. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Wow. Every time I obey the Father, that's a righteous act. Now, he's not talking about doing acts to be righteous because they're there. That's been settled. They are there. That's, that's a settled issue. They're part of the road. We all are as we meet the Lord. But the development of that has to do with our obedience in righteousness while we're here. And it's very easy to get frustrated and discouraged and say, coming in this thing, and he's saying, I'm not through yet. I love what, uh, uh, what was that? Phil Donahue. i never forget. Phil Donahue had Billy Graham on there one time. That was so awesome, man. Billy Graham just kind of wrapped him up like, you know what. And so, you know, Bill, uh, Phil Donahue asked him, uh, Dr. Graham, when do you think Jesus is coming back? And Billy Graham looked at him and says, Phil, Jesus could come for you today. Oh, he didn't know what to say about that. Am I sure that I want to face him in all his glory in the condition my heart is in right now? I don't know about you, but I don't want to meet Jesus knowing I am holding on to something that he died to set me free from. Mary Lou added to my word this morning. Mary Lou has had uh, cataract surgery in one eye. And it's, it's just opened up a whole new world to her. Okay? I mean, it's like, if you've ever had cataracts, I, the last time I went to the doctor, I hoped he would tell me I did so I could get rid of my glasses, but I didn't. And so, you know, I just have to live with them. But cataracts, they tell me, is like kind of looking through a screen door, looking through a dirty window. It's like looking through a glass darkly, okay, dimly. And one eye got fixed. The other one's getting fixed Wednesday. But she said somebody was over the other day, and they decided they wanted to go in and clean up Mary Lou's kitchen. And, I mean... I, listen, this lady is impeccable about her house. You've ever been over there? It is spotless, okay? So they went, she said, well, whatever, go ahead. So she said, then she walked in the kitchen, and she saw with her good eye, and it embarrassed her how dirty it was. She didn't see it with the other eye, but she could see it with a good eye. She didn't see it with the eye that was seeing dimly. She saw it with the eye that was seeing clearly. All of us see life through a glass dimly. Even ourselves, we see dimly. That's why we cry out to the Father, you search me, O God, and know my heart. I think I know. I have an opinion. I have a feeling. I have a thought. I have a reasoning. 
but I'm seeing dimly. You search my heart and show me what's here. I don't want to be caught by surprise. And he comes and all of a sudden now I see everything clearly. And I see myself and what I've done. Well, isn't there anything I can do on my own? I'm, I'm, this is my conversation, okay? Well, Lord, isn't there anything I could do? And he said, yeah. And he reminded me in John chapter 10 talking to Jesus. Jesus is talking. And in John chapter 10, verse uh, 17, let's start there. Jesus says, for this reason, the Father loves me. And because I lay down my life so that I may take it again, no one has taken It uses it, but he's referring to my life. No one has taken my life away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. That's the only thing in Scripture we ever find that Jesus said. I mean, time and again, he said, I don't do anything on my own initiative. But here he says, I take the initiative to lay down my life before the Father. I have authority If there's any authority given to us by Christ to use freely, it's that. Lay down your life. I won't force you. I won't make you. I won't curse you. I won't beat you. I won't smack you around. I'm giving you the authority to lay your life down. And I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. So, When I got through with the conversation, my response was, oh, what can you say? Oh, his heart is for Christ to have first place in everything, starting with me. And that's why he made Jesus the head of the church, that he can have first place in the body of Christ. And Scripture says, judgment starts with the household of God. The world is doing exactly what it is supposed to do. The church, the church, we have to make that choice. Are we going to establish him? And, and, and what, I, what I have shared with you today is not some deeper Christian life. It's not some deeper understanding that you attain on down the road. What I shared with you today is salvation. That's what salvation is. Salvation is coming to that place in my life that I surrender everything that I know of myself to everything that I know of him. Do I take it back? Probably before dark. 
But when I realize I've taken it back, I give it back. I give it back. But my salvation was established not because of this process. It was established because I surrendered to him as the Lord to do whatever he wants to do in me. Some of us have never done that. We have a lot of the facts and the information. We've never had that encounter with him. My challenge to you this morning is not to form an opinion about whether Christ has first place in your life, but to ask the Father, do you have first place in my life? He knows. We think we know. We don't really know until he tells us. That's where it starts. So, Father... We thank you this morning because you are so faithful and so kind. And your kindness brings us to repentance. We just ask you to search our hearts, to know our thoughts, see if they know our emotions, know our reasonings. And if there's any wicked way, if there's any harmful way in that, lead us into righteousness. Capture us this week. Capture us today. Reveal your goodness to us that we're willing to surrender and trust you. We bless you. We praise you for who you are. You are a good God. You are diligent to pursue us. You are diligent to draw us. Work in our heart that we will respond to whatever you have for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Anybody have any questions? Anything?